Predictable Podcast. Predictable Podcasts. There's a million of them out there. Babbling about the same old boring stuff. But trust me, my friend, this is not one of them. This is Diary of a Bald Man. He's bald, and he's completely off his damn rocker, and I love that about him. Safety, dinosaurs, relationships, the many uses of a can of Raid in the bedroom. Hold on. Did I uh, read that right? What the... What the f*** happened there? All right. <clears throat> Let's do this. Welcome to Diary of a Bald Man. Now your host, the cue ball himself, Alan Wooford. Hey, sinners, welcome to the shit show. This is Alan Wolford, and you're listening to Diary of a Bald Man. Now, one of the things that's going to make this show a little bit unique and a little bit different, we're actually releasing this on September 30th for the International Podcast Day. And it's kind of special. You know, we're kind of excited. We've got put into the top 10 slate for the podcast awards, the People's Podcast Awards. You know, and one of the things, you know, that we're looking forward to is from some of the people, some of the listeners, subscribers, uh, excuse me, subscribers, my sinuses are killing me, but people that have helped and developed this show over the past two years, you know, a lot of thanks and to our listeners goes out to them. You know, we're not as impactful as some of the other shows that's out there, but obviously we have a reach. Obviously we have a group of listeners that thought it was good enough that, you know, they put us in, they voted for us and we're transitioning from just being out, you know, flapping my lips and beating my gums to death, literally, uh, over topics that we thought only a few people like and listen to, to what we now recognize as a global reach. Just through Spotify alone, uh, we have listeners that we know of in England, Ireland, Australia, uh, South America, Europe, Asia. And some of the feedback we're getting through the website, you know, from the recent shows that we've done with safety professionals, Uh, people from my past, you know, things that they just didn't think about because it's outside the scope of where they're geographically located or their profession. And that's one of the things that we wanted to look at today. I am privileged to be joined by Aaron Sullivan, who recently retired from the United States Army. But it's not just the fact that he retired from the military, that he also lives in Tennessee. Uh, But the fact that this relationship got started by him reaching out and communicating with me on LinkedIn as he was preparing to transition from where he was currently stationed at the time and to where he is now. I myself have developed and grown because he helped me to recognize things where I was lacking or missing. Aaron, welcome to the show. And how are you, brother? Thanks, buddy. Hey, things are going pretty well today. I got a brisket that I just pulled out of the smoker. So it's resting in the oven. I figure I'll pull that out around dinner time and Hopefully it turned out all right. Okay. Well, you just recently had a birthday. So how old are you now? Big four zero. Yep. Four zero. Big four zero. Jesus. 20 years ago, I was 40. Wow. 
I, I suck at math. It was actually 15. <laughs> I was just trying to add some age to it. And, and were you prepared for the big 4-0? Honestly, uh, I told my wife last night, I'm like, I don't feel the same as I did yesterday. So yeah. <laughs> I guess it's the same thing. Well, Aaron, for everybody that's joining us right now, would you let them know where you're calling in from? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm calling in from Maryville, Tennessee, or as the locals call it, Maryville. This is actually my hometown. But, uh, you know, after a long time of being away, I felt like now was the time to head back to the roots. You know, i got a family, got a little one. And, uh, yeah, here we are. Well, that's interesting. Now, for everybody that's outside of Tennessee, for Yankees and people elsewhere, where is Maryville in relation to Tennessee? I, I mean, I know where it's at, but I just wanted you to describe sure. it. Sure. Yeah. So on the eastern side of Tennessee, just south of Knoxville, it takes me about 25, 30 minutes to get to downtown Knoxville. So if you're going straight up Chattanooga into Kentucky on I-75, just south of Knoxville uh, to the east of 75, is where Maryville's at. You've got a beautiful view of the the Smoky Mountains, and it's a perfect little gateway to the Smokies. Okay. So if people were come out there and visit you, and they said, well, I don't want to eat brisket because I'm a vegan, outside of telling them how to get the hell out of the area, what would you suggest in that location where you're at? What would be a great place for them to visit? What would be an attraction out there other than to just drive by your house and see your face? But what's something your location is notable for? Well, for people that have been in the military, familiar with Port Sam Houston, Sam Houston is from here. This is his hometown as well. Uh, but as far as the cuisine side of the house, I do make a mean Brussels sprout. Nah, but... I could cook no, nobody I eats cooking. Brussels sprouts, man. I mean, that's I just nasty. cabbage stuff, man. It's, it's aborted cabbage. Aborted cabbage. Uh, it's the B words. I just get messed <laughs> up with them. Now, uh, really, we have a lot of good Mexican places. Of course, it could just be my perception of that. Because after spending so much time in the North, the last 12 and a bit years, you know, my, my taste for traditional Mexican food is... I, I've been feeding for some, so now that we've moved back down here, I'm, I'm hitting them all up. But good deal. Uh, now there's there's a few good places around, a couple of good local coffee shops and stuff like that as well, which you know is right up my alley. Oh, absolutely. You know, speaking of culinary taste, just to give an idea for you know all of our veterans and those currently enlisted, what was your favorite, absolute favorite MRE? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, it definitely was not chili mac, and if it has eggs in it, I'm not touching it. Mm-hmm. But I would have to go. Let's see. There's there's a ravioli, one of the ravioli sure. dishes. I I like those, man. That I don't remember seeing any Alfredo. pasta dishes. Huh. Dude, you've been out for a millennia. Jesus Christ! I know. I mean, when I went in, we still had sea rations. Yeah, and then in '86, well. Civil War. <laughs> Fucker. I'll take my musket and I'll shove it right up. Okay, so, you know, I, we were talking about the sea rations and stuff like that. I mean, I remember T-Rats. And I remember when I was at Fort Knox in 86, they are like, oh, uh, collect all the MREs. We had an issue with botulism. And we just thought, man, this stuff was made by Taco Bell the way it was blowing out of us. So, okay, good deal. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things, you know, now that, 
you know, you're back into the civilian thing. Um, let, let's step back a little bit. Prior to you transitioning, coming back to Murrayville, um, I mean, I, I need to tell people, you know, when we're talking about coffee for a second, Aaron and I were going to go see a client. And Aaron said, you know what? Let's stop at this location uh, near the Tennessee-North Carolina border because we've made the time. I mean, Aaron had a schedule down. And he brought out, you know, a camping stove and he brought out his coffee pot. And we were right next to, um, I, w- I want to say like a water hydro plant. And it was gorgeous. And he just made coffee out there in the middle of the fucking woods. And we didn't cuddle. We didn't have time. Um, but the coffee was amazing. And so the man's serious about it. I mean, he carries a kit. It's ballistically protected in a Pelican case. Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a series of combinations that you have to get to just to get to it. And I loved it. But Aaron, valuable Aaron, things you keep close. Yeah, I, w- I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that. You know, and it was one of those moments that I was telling you guys about, you know, that Aaron reflected um, one of his passions, but one of the things I missed, just stopping somewhere, taking a break, you know, that work-life balance stuff. And, you know, when we get into this, Aaron, one of the things I'd like to ask you for those that are joining us, you know, I want to talk about the transition. But before you transitioned out of the military, what were you doing and what was it that you know, reached out to you and said, hey, join join the military, join the army, get in this specific MOS. And, and could you tell us how you transitioned out of the civilian side into the military side, and then we'll build that up? Sure. Let's put it this way. I sucked at college. So at the time, I was going to college, and I was not doing very well in the academic portion social life was pretty good but the academic portion as is i guess the norm uh for a, a young kid was not doing so hot but i really didn't feel like that was the right way i needed to to stick with things and so i was going through a bit of a dilemma okay what do i do if i'm not going to do this and i started looking around well i you know i love aviation my dad was taking me to air shows since I was just a little kid. So I started looking through military service in a different aviation fields through all the branches. Uh, but what I found out was that the Army was the only one that could guarantee you your job, your MOS, in your contract. I mean, provided right. you know you pass all the, the schooling and stuff like that. Right. Now, when so, you were thinking about college, did you not think about like aviation, like Embry-Riddle or something like that? Or were you looking at something outside of aviation when you went into school? No, I was actually going to a Bible college in Missouri. And I wanted, my parents are missionaries in Australia. And I was actually looking at going back to Australia and either joining up with them or kind of branching off and starting my own sort of thing out in the outback. Roger that. Okay. Kind of a remote place. But yeah, so I wasn't looking at aviation universities or anything like that. But whenever I noticed that the Army could guarantee your MOS or your job in your contract and you're not going to get pulled this way or that, I figured that was going to be my best way. So I started looking at the Army aviation. saw they had a Blackhawks. Kind of fell in love with the, the platform. And 
I figured my path was going to be a maintainer, crew chief, so I'd be in charge of everything in the back, door gunner, and all that good stuff. And then work my way up to the front seat as a pilot. That way I, I knew how it worked, why it worked, how to fix it, and then how to operate the thing. Well, one of those things did not happen, and that was the latter. So I put it in for a warrant officer candidate school on three different occasions, but fully qualified, not select. And then so stuck out the rest of my time as a enlisted guy on the, the maintenance and the, the uh, crewing aspect of it. Well, and, uh, you know, they, with all that, I mean, I, I'm sure there were unique challenges, you know, to get to each level of that. And, right. you know, it was surprising. You went to college to look at, you know, going into, you know, possibly going into religion and going out back into Australia and stuff. But you never thought of being a chaplain or a chaplain's assistant in the military. You just kind of went into aviation. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, at the time, I was really needing a, a departure from where I was. Okay. And departure was found at that time. Well, and, and there's nothing to say, you know, that sometime in the near future or later, you know, some type of theology or something may come into you again and you get that feeling of, hey, you know what, let me focus on this. Absolutely. But, I mean, we've got a great church here right now and good. surrounded by some just amazing people. Okay. And see, I like that. I like that you got that kind of support and, you you know, your background, especially, you know, you were talking about being out in Australia and your parents being missionaries and things like that. But uh, was it difficult when you came back CONUS? Uh, and for those that are listening, not familiar with that, CONUS stands for Continental U.S. O'CONUS is where he was at or what he was at while he was in Australia. Did you have a difficult transition coming from, you know, the farmlands or the outback and not being able to wrestle with, you know, kangaroos and stuff. Was that difficult coming back to the U.S.? I mean, <laughs> no, slapping actually, dingoes around? I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe a dingo took your baby. But, uh, no, actually, I, I had a pretty smooth transition back into things, uh, especially just keep the transition going, keep them busy, and then straight into college, straight into work, and, yeah, that really was a non-issue. Uh, a comical note, though, whenever I came back, Steve Irwin and I, or Crocodile Dundee, whichever one of those you want to use as far as an accent baseline, I could have given them a run for their money as far as a bushy Australian accent. But uh, joining the Army during basic training, that was garnishing far too much attention. So within a couple of weeks, that was gone. And, and for those that do not know, Aaron is a top-level linguist. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that I caught my attention, I, I was following him on Facebook uh, surreptitiously, and his wife had a unique uh, vocabulary challenge. Aaron, if you would, would you please say, Sally sells seashells on the seesaw, but with the southern dialect. So, Yeah. No, that, that was a great video. Um, so my wife was going through some of my old art books that I made whenever I was little. So we're talking six and seven years old. So the one I was referring to here is my spelling of the word seesaw. It had an L at the end of it. So it, it was beautiful. In my, in my that was some really bushcraft bush stuff. Seesaw is, is how you say it down there. 
but the tears that your wife had in her face. Oh my goodness. I laughed so hard, but it looked like she got pepper sprayed. She was laughing so hard, the tears were going. Absolutely right. I noticed your your artistic talents have stayed the same. I mean, it's really amazing to see what you've accomplished over the years. I'm still great at stick figures, man. (laughs) Well, brother, let me ask you this. So, you know, being in the military, um, where was your, what would you say was your favorite duty station? Uh, was it CONUS? Was it OCONUS? What was mm. one of the things, you know, especially looking at your background. So same with me. Grow, I grew up, but I grew up in a military family. So it wasn't because of the parents' work, you know, in religion, but being an Air Force and going around seeing different cultures. But while you were in the Army, what was one of your favorite duty stations whether it was TDY, PCS, where you really enjoyed the culture where you was at? We did just over six years in Germany and absolutely fell in love with it. Germany is one of those places, at least outside of the major cities, I can't speak to the major cities, but in the rural communities where we were, the sense of community was top-notch. I mean, these are, like I said, rural farming communities, and you get to know your neighbors, and the, like I said, the sense of community, the, the get-togethers, the, the cookouts, as long as you're willing to make an effort and get out and meet the local populace, they're very receptive. As long as you try to speak a little bit of German, you may butcher it, but as long as you're making the effort and not just being as so sadly typical as standoffish American, um, you know, they're, they're happy to receive you and, and bring you into the fold, so to speak. That was that was a phenomenal place to be. And whenever we came back to the U.S. after Germany, we ended up in a small agricultural town in upstate New York, about 45 minutes from the Canadian border. And what a perfect transition back to stateside life. I mean, we're talking the town that we were living in was, I'd definitely say less than 500 people. It was just a nice place, that same sense of community. And with the North Country winters, it is evident why the sense of community is there. I mean, you really sometimes have to rely on each other. It's a beautiful thing, truly a gorgeous thing. I like that. You know, you go from one environment to the other. So for those that are in the service that are, you know, in the lower ranks, like E3, E4, E5, if they're getting ready to deploy or PCS, you know, to Europe, what would be something that you would suggest to them to help that transition into, you know, you're talking about learning German. Um, did you use any language apps or, you know, did you study the location prior to uh, getting on site? You know, did, a, did you have a sponsor that helped you go over customs and courtesies? But what would right. you tell somebody preparing, you know, to transition into that environment? The biggest thing, and this is probably the most common thing why you'll hear somebody say they hated Europe. Is they stayed in the barracks where they stayed on post and they did not get out unless it was uh, a, you know, a boss trip, which is better opportunity for single soldiers or uh, MWR, morale welfare recreation program that was led by other service members. Uh, yeah, get out among the locals, go see people. I did have Duolingo on my phone. I was going through that, but that's not how I learn. It's just not. And 
I'm more of a face-to-face type learner. So okay. when we got there, I, I got a bicycle and it, cycling's huge in Europe, especially there where we were. And uh, I really got into the cycling scene. After getting into the cycling scene, the majority of the people that I was riding with were German. And just by proximity, I developed my vocabulary with them and they were more than happy to teach me and tell me when I've really screwed up oh, that, my horrible German jokes. And yeah, it was great. That's good that you have feedback. How do you say seesaw in German? <laughs> I would have to ask a, a local on that one because that is uh, <laughs> barely translatable in proper English. <laughs> You know, that, and I like how you put that. That was one of the things my dad was adamant about. But before we went to like Guam and the Philippines and things like that, uh, back in the day, we had a series of books called Encyclopedia Britannica. I don't even know if they exist anymore or that they sell them. But he'd pull up like cultural information and we'd learn about, you know, and this is one of the reasons I'm such a huge history buff. His dad would have us get these out and study the culture, look at the diverse foods, look at vegetation, uh, and we'd learn some of that. And then as soon as I got, you know, boots on the ground, I'd meet the kids. I'd, I'd get out and I'd try fried rat, fried monkey, whatever, whatever the fuck they were feeding me. Um, and once I got a few of the keywords down, I was like, how do you cuss like this so my parents don't know when I'm swearing? Unfortunately, dad <laughs> was brief well ahead of what those words were. And uh, it was amazing how quickly he tuned me up uh, to reculturalize. So it's amazing how immaturities do not change no, generations because that's usually the first thing that people want to know. <laughs> how do I cuss in German? <laughs> oh, man. And it was so funny. My dad knew ahead of time. And it's like, you thought you got away with that. And I did. Not so cool I, for now. I, 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 and hell, I'm I'm over fifty now, and I'm still thinking he still doesn't know what I said to him. And he looks at me and says, "You know, I just know for a fact he does." He's probably listening in right now, thinking, "Oh, really?" Oh, God, I hope nobody in my family is listening <laughs> to the crap I say. Uh, anyhow, so brother, you get you get done in Germany, you PCS back to the states. Um, what what was the transition from your flight status into your status? as safety, you know, how, because I I ask this because a lot of guys are afraid, you know, to get out of their primary MOS because it's what they know. It's what they tested for, you know, to get up to rank and to get through, but what helped you make that transition and how did it end up being safety? And instead of, you know, being back on your tools or something like that, what, what was the catalyst? Burnout. Burnout was my catalyst. So, uh, over the years, I had filled a couple of small, very insignificant company safety uh, NCO gigs, but nothing where that was actually my job title. This is one, you know, another one of the hundred things that they put on your plate that you're just the additional duty NCO for, which NCO for those listening, uh, non-commissioned officer, just the enlisted side, uh, more of your leadership echelon. But uh after we got back from the 2019-20 deployment in Afghanistan, which was, by the way, mid-COVID, my goodness, I hope never do something like that again. But um, COVID made it rough. But I was a bit broke up in uh, physical sense. I, you know, I had some 
shoulder issues that I had been pushing off, other injuries that I'd just been pushing off for a while. And after that deployment, I, I just hit burnout, absolute burnout, where it took me a while to admit it. But within a couple months of being back, I went to my sergeant major and said, look, sergeant major, I, I've become more of a detractor from the team at this moment than I am a contributor. I'm, I'm doing more harm than good. I've got this shoulder surgery coming up, and that's going to be, from what I'm hearing, about a nine-month recovery. So is there any way that I can step away from the line, take a knee for a little bit, and, uh, you know, just get my head straight? Do you have an admin job or something I can have? It just so happens that uh, one of my buddies is our battalion safety officer. And he went to Sergeant Major and said, hey, I know this guy. I, I work well with him. Can I have him as my safety NCO for the battalion? Because we have this up, upcoming inspection, arms inspection, for those of you who are familiar. And we need him to prep for it. I was all for the idea. A couple of days later, Sergeant Major gave the thumbs up for that. So I had my shoulder surgery. Had my my convalescent leave for that and went back to my old company, closed out the administrative stuff, and then started working at the battalion safety office and fell in love with the safety gig. I really did. It was the interaction with people, having your fingers in the logistics, the planning, the day-to-day risk mitigations of the unit and the different missions that they'll be doing training or, uh, you know, troop movement from home station to a training site or anything like that. I just really fell in love with it. Had a great mentor, Bobby S. Garcia, fantastic dude. He, Alex Druin, were a couple of the uh, battalion safety officers at the time and they gave me a chance and I did what I could to learn from it. And then a buddy of mine, I have a lot of buddies, by the way, uh, he was at the brigade safety office as the NCO. And he came up MQ, most qualified for the E8 list. So he was going to go down and fill a first sergeant position at a battalion. Nice. Our brigade sergeant major was in our office. We were just having a chat. He used to be our old battalion sergeant major. So I kind of joked around, hey, Sergeant Major, I hear you know Jason's going to go down and fill a first sergeant position. Let me know if you need me to come up and fill that spot. Oh, okay, okay, Sully, yeah, I'll let you know. God. I started thinking about I bet about your it. nose looked like it had a half a pound of kiwi on it. <laughs> it I'm kidding, like a, maybe a quarter like a coconut. More like a coconut. <laughs> but, uh, nah, the, I, I called the wife. Late after that happened, and I said, look, babe, this is actually a thing I, I think I could get, but know this. If we get the brigade safety and zero job, being this close to the end, I'm not moving up in rank anymore. Like This is it, and we're retiring at 20. And so we had a quick chat about pros and cons, hmm. and then I emailed the sergeant major later that day. Hey, sergeant major, what's it going to take to have, make this thing Legit. Three days later, I got my 
an email saying, all right, I've cleared it with everybody. One June, I want you up here. So that was that. And then I was the brigade safety NCO, which uh, a unique thing for Army aviation is that green suitors and actual service members are the only ones at the brigade level. Uh, or aviation is the only one that has green suitors at the brigade safety office. Usually they're civilian contractors and the rest of the brigades, sustainment and infantry brigades. So it was a unique position to be in and honor to be working directly for the man. And uh, yeah, even even more fell in love with the job. See, that's one of the things that, you know, I like is when people fall in love with it and when they enjoy it, you know, because I had no intention um, over the years of going into safety. It was a part of what I was doing, but I never once thought, okay, you know, like you did and you had your friends and you saw the uh, benefits of supporting the community, the aviation community, being part of you know, the tribe that you were in with 10th Mountain. Um, and I never thought about that. And with you, you knew that, okay, I, I'm going to accept this position. I get to be part of the community. I get to be with the flyers and the players and, you know, the warrants and stuff. And so you had, you know, your background that helped you with it because you understood them, you understood the airframes, and, you know, things like that. And you knew that you were going to have a date where you said, hey, after 20, I'm retiring. So let's talk about that. You know, you, you've got all this time in safety with aviation. And how long was that total for aviation safety? For aviation safety, it was three years in, so you, in the seat. Okay. In the seat. So you know your time is coming up. And for those that are listening, I want you to listen to this carefully. Because, you know, when Aaron was making preparations to come back to Tennessee, um, you know, and preparing for that transition, what was some of your concerns, Aaron? Were you trying to find an aviation safety, but a civilian side? What were you originally looking for when you reached out to me? So I had been on LinkedIn and Indeed, all the job sites, uh, looking for just a, a safety or quality control, production control. I, I mean, I conducted all those positions over the years in uh, Army Aviation. So I was looking for any type of a job like that. I mean, I had a, uh, a a number in mind as far as salary goes, but that really wasn't the big, the number one priority. The number one priority was finding something that I enjoyed doing that paid well enough for my family to live off of, which the cost of living done here in Maryville is quite a bit higher than what it was in upstate New York. Well, but, I can uh, I can imagine to some degree yeah, it is. This is you look it up. This is like one of the highest real estate markets in the U.S. right now. But um, yeah, I just wanted something that would provide for my family and give me time with my family. If it was going to be something that would take me away, I might as well have just stayed in the military. Right. And and as you were preparing and looking for that, what were some of your concerns? I mean, if you looked at your LES and you had your housing allowance and things like that, was that something that concerned you? You know, you're getting ready to retire. You're going to get a civilian position and, you know, you're going to get your LES or leave an earnings statement for those that aren't familiar. And you weren't going to get paid for housing. You weren't going to have like all the insurance and stuff that the military uh, provided and was that a concern? Was that something that you and Erica had to consider? And it's like, 
you know, like you said, I need to find a job that's going to be able to pay for these things that are missing off my LES. Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, like I said, was the being able to provide for my family. And so that is an obvious concern. But my wife, she's a champ. She said, I got to give kudos for this. She said, look, it really doesn't matter if we're living in a cardboard box. As long as the three of us are together, we're good. And while I still strive to find that that magic job that will, you know, provide the, the income and the time with them, which I found a pretty darn good job now. But uh, having her say that takes a lot of the pressure off because having a, a supportive spouse in that kind of a situation even if we're both working, it's just, it's great to know that she's not looking at me as strictly the paycheck, you know, or I'm, I'm with this guy because he's going to give me right, right, what right. I say I need. Now she's with me for, for me and for our family. And that's a very, very refreshing thing in today's day and age. Well, see, I like that you got that support. You know, I, I had friends back when I was in the service and, um, you know, they'd get ready PCS or some of the guys that were Vietnam area era getting ready to retire. And they just said, look, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. This is what we are going to have available to us, you know, and we'll work it out when we get there. There wasn't, there was some planning on some of them. I don't think they had the programs back then like they do now. Absolutely not. Yeah. So, you know, what, I, I, with you and the wife talking about things and when you took that opportunity to say, okay, let me reach out and try and find somebody. Um, you know, I, I was lucky that, uh, you were able to come down and intern with me, but how did the military help you prepare to transition out of, you know, a very regimented and a very, you know, um, I, I, I don't want to say they dictated everything, but I mean, you as an NCO, you know, you had a set schedule, you had things like this sure. and it was regimented, but how did they prepare you to go from something where you have massive amounts of support, infrastructure, leadership, uh, continuity and things in the background. So if something failed that you could get that, how did they prepare you for coming back into the civilian life? What was it they did for you? So this is a cool part. And for those of you that are, in the military and looking to part ways here before too long it takes a couple of notes here. So they've just changed the name of it in the army. Uh, I think a month or so ago, I'm not sure what it's called right now, but it'd be similar to what it was. It's SFL tap soldier for life transition assistance program. So throughout SFL tap, you've got, I mean, it's, it's congressionally mandated that all posts will offer this service now to help, service members transition over to the civilian sector, give them the tools and the resources that they need to succeed. Everything from resume writing classes to how to use your GI Bill to how to conduct a job interview, how to look for jobs, how to do a budget, because uh, there's, there's a lot of people out there that don't know how to do a budget. So I mean, they had those classes as well. Um, how to use your healthcare benefits, how to use this and that. There are so many courses available through 
the transition um, program, it's mind-boggling. And as a retiree, I was eligible to sign up for that two years out from the retirement date. If you're just just exiting the service at your ETS date, then it's a one-year thing. You're able to do it the last year of your service. But it is what you put into it. There, unfortunately, were a lot of service members that were sitting through these classes expecting all of these contracted civilians to do all the work for them, like write their resume for them or help them make phone calls to different companies and set up interviews and stuff like that. And that's not what this is about. Now, this is about giving you the resources and the understanding of how they work. So that now, you Aaron is... I'm sorry, brother. Yourself. Now, is this only for retirees or anybody no, exiting no. the service? No, it's anybody exiting the service. Okay, I I appreciate that. Yeah, I did. I just wanted to make sure you know that everybody understood. It's not just if you're retiring, right? right? If no. if you fulfilled your contract obligation, exactly. I'm sorry. Exactly. Please continue. I mean, even for like uh, a med board, it might be a little bit of a condensed timeline but you're still eligible to participate in these programs once you find out that, yes, I am going to be medically uh, let go from the service. Oh, yeah, but, that would have been nice. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No, the, it, it's a phenomenal program. And like I said, it, there's some real rock stars in, in these program leadership areas that, you know, they helped me come up with a, a good resume. And I think it's pretty decent. Uh, you know, I, I went through jotted down some notes, sat down with uh, the guy, and he's like, this sucks. Uh, he said, you've got to go back and put some real time into this. So I went back and did some online research about how to translate my job title in the military to job titles that are commonly found in the civilian sector. Went back, and he's like, all right, I think we're almost there. So, you know, it's it's these this, the openness of these offices and these people that that work to really support our service members that made it all possible and the thing that really helped out was what called the csp program career skills program and that's what led me to the inter internship with you uh, it is a period of time and it they have a lot of different regulations stipulating mileage away and days allowed and all that good stuff so just dig in and read it but it's basically you're still paid by the military. You're still covered by their health care. You're still on the books. You're just on a permissive TDY status that allows you to conduct an internship with a civilian corporation in hopes that you can land a job with them. But it's not necessarily it's not required of that company to hire you, but it does give you the opportunity to get back in touch with your civilian self and learn the ways of, uh, of of your local populace wherever you're trying to get out and see how the business works on the outside, so to speak. Yeah, and that and was, that was cool. beneficial. You know, when you when you were uh, sending us the information, um, you know, and I was working with the office, um, you know, trying to get it in because normally all the interns went up there. And you had such an impact, you know, when Donnie met you. And when others were communicating with you, you know, the, um, the, the idea behind it was, yeah, we didn't know <clears> where we were going to be able to hire you. And now, you know, you're with us. 
Um, you're, you're not just a trainer and a safety consultant. You've helped me over the past few months actually conducting classes and audits and things like that. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I really admired, especially like when you and I were conducting training, you know, the responses uh, that you and I received from clients when we were in the Clarksville area, uh, whether we were in West Knoxville, you know, and how the guys were relatable to you, uh, because that's something the military prepared us for, you know, that PLDC, mm-hmm. and all these leadership development courses and BNOC and whatever they call them these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you're old. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> one of the questions that I, I wanted to ask and, you know, for people transitioning, you know, look at what he's talking about, you know, plan, prepare, communicate. Same thing I say in every uh, podcast. But one thing, Aaron, I wanted to ask you, one thing I'm starting to see, you know, with some of the clients that you and I are going to with these other veterans, prior, especially after a prolonged, you know, career like you have, um, when you're transitioning outside of, you know, fam finding uh, billeting for you and the wife and getting into a community uh, that's agreeable for you and your family. Do you have fear of like, what if this job hadn't panned out? Um, Is there anything in place these days to help you deal with the stresses of, you know, I got out and I'm having an issue with this. And is there any type of support after you retire um, that, you know, we're, and we're seeing more of this with some of the clients, with some of the mm-hmm. veterans are getting out mm-hmm. and um, getting into training. I don't know if they still use the GI Bill, but is there things or uh, structures in place to help you if when you thought you got, you know, luckily we received you, you know, we got yeah. you in. And yeah. that was through your own hard work. But for others not going to safety consulting, maybe into a different MOS. <laughs> Sorry, you know how it is. Uh, going into a different career field, are there things, as far as you know, in place to help them transition, retrain? Um, is there something like that available? Yeah, there are. There, I mean, you can look up vet centers all over the U.S. and Knoxville's got one actually. And while these places may not be, they're not job placement offices by any means. But what they can do is they have. Uh, counselors that will volunteer their times or veterans that will volunteer their time to help other veterans that are dealing with some hardships. And uh, I've thought about going up there and seeing what's, what would be involved in, in doing that myself. But uh, there are resources and there are people in place that will help you through the hardships that are either associated with your, your time in or, or the, just the change of pace and the change of the lifestyle going back into the civilian sector. These people have experience and they will walk you through it. And these, these resources are open and available to you as veterans. You, you just got to take advantage of it. And like you were saying, I, I really, really lucked out. I was very blessed to have this opportunity with the company. And specifically, you being a veteran, I could not have asked for a better mentor in this uh, this pursuit because you know the lingo. You you have time as a veteran yourself. You've had time as a contractor. You've been around it for for a long time, so you know the intricacies. You know the lingo, and 
you know what's going through my head before I even open my mouth. And uh, having your assistance and your support and, and guidance throughout this has been invaluable to me. So thank you so much for everything you've given me during this time. No, brother, and I appreciate it because there was, and for those listening, you know, part of the internship, um, and, and I'm telling you, I grew, if not much more than Aaron did because I saw where I was shortcoming. I knew how to speak to him and to a lot of our clients that I've been working with over the past, you know, almost three years now. But one of the unique challenges that Aaron presented to me, and I was very grateful for, um, you know, as he was coming out, um, I was like, okay, I generate these documents, and I generate these, and I do these. And this is what I do to prepare for a class. But with the stuff that Aaron was doing on the aviation side, doing on the military side, he was developing programs and plans. And like where I adjust PowerPoints for, you know, a certain type of like uh, environment, you know, because you have youthful people, elderly people and things. He brought this dynamic set of stuff that people responded to immediately. It drew them in, things like that. Things that took the training that I had and information I had and just set it on fire. You know, I didn't know this type of option was out there. Um, And, and, you know, in all honesty, too, uh, in dealing with some of the clients that Aaron and I have dealt with that have, you know, high numbers of veterans having his recent views on challenges and things like that helped out too. So I, I was training or I thought it was training, but as I was doing it and Aaron was providing feedback, my educational level shot up, you know, and I've been doing this for a while, but one thing I'll always admit, I, I'm not a safety professional. I'm a safety practitioner because I'm always, you know, looking at what Aaron and I are doing and trying to improve on it daily because our, our environment changes around us. The people we, we've been supporting and Aaron was like a rocket in a world full of paper planes. Um, he gave us <laughs> lift. No, you did brother. You gave us lift. You, I, I gave good messages, but you gave the messages, the extra afterburner, you know, because your recent exposure and Aaron has such a great way to pull people in from, pull, you know, his previous experiences, personal things, things he saw, things I tried to do. But since I've been doing safety for three years, I've not been in the field where I'm watching construction guys or working with aviation. So it's basically, I was regurgitating OSHA specific things to keep them safe. And Aaron gave it new life. So, you know, it was mutually beneficial. Um, you know, for anybody listening to this, it sounds like we're about to lock lips or something like that. I mean, you know, I, I brought you, you I love brushed, me. This is, dude, yeah, I, wa- it's a good I thing would, right now we're an hour away, but with our facial hair, we would like, it'd be like Velcro, Velcro and they'd yeah. have, hold on. Okay. <laughs> but that's one of the things, you know, um, it, if you're looking to hire a veteran, you know, if you're looking at to get somebody, you know, not all the times that you reach out to somebody, uh, are positive things going to happen, you know, because like, I was just very fortunate. Aaron comes in, took a chance to let me, you know, work with him. Uh, the company took a chance because, you know, you get all these great veterans and, and some are not so great. You know, uh, we've seen some of them too. Um, and, and it's hard because they separate themselves and from that support and infrastructure they had. Then they get out here and it's like, 
companies don't always provide that same setting. So Aaron, now that you are a consultant, you know, now that you're a risk management person, I'm bona fide. You're bona fide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if you were to have a veteran, uh, you know, or soon to retire veteran or somebody getting ready ETS, something like that, what is something that you learned from your recent retirement, recent research, things like that, that was truly beneficial? I mean, like you said, they've got to be engaged. But what mm-hmm. was something that really helped you, you know, lock in, hey, you know what, this is something I'm going to take a chance on. And, you know, I'm going to yeah. have a backup plan, but what really helped you? So really uh, LinkedIn was a huge thing for me, being able to look out, see what kind of things are out there. I mean, yes, it's social media and there's a lot of hoopla about social media these days. Some people will tell you that LinkedIn's not worth its its weight, but I really garnish a lot from LinkedIn. Uh, you can look at different companies. You can look at what they're hiring for and do research on the company right then. They'll have links to the their webpage. You can find out what their culture is like just by looking at the posts and the people that are associated with that business on LinkedIn. And I bet you wish you would have checked out the company that we're with so, and said, no, I'm not working with Alan. <laughs> Let me go. I'll tell Donnie. you what. This, this Damn has Alan. Been, this has been an experience with this company. I mean, so far during the onboarding process, you know, you're talking to different department heads. And I mean, you said it whenever I was doing the internship stuff, but it truly seems like there is a rock star that's leading each and every department. Yeah. I mean, including our boss, Donnie, love you. Just, uh, what? It's, it's a great place to be. Yeah. I, I can't exactly. make an ass kissing sound. I don't have one. I'm sorry. My apologies, Donnie. <laughs> that's true. You do. You are like a, board you do not have one at all <laughs> you didn't say that when we were in clarksville at the <laughs> freaking la quinta inn and i'm screaming like a banshee oh no that was to uh, turn off the lights my, apo- stays my apologies i had the lights on <laughs> i do not have legs for well-lit areas damn it True. well Aaron, before we go you know you've given out a lot of good information i you know we were, are definitely going to do another show because i want to follow up for veterans you know, and for our listeners um, that are going to be listening to the show right after the podcast awards and do a follow-up, you know, now that you're out, now that you're engaged, what are some things, you know, that were beneficial or maybe some things, you know, now that you've been retired for a minute, that you say, hey, you know what, I would have changed this. Uh, I would have changed this location. Um, if Alan would have been more transgender or something like that, this would have been better for me. I, I don't know. Um, but if people want to reach out to you, veterans or people getting ready to, you know, uh, complete their contracts, what would be a good way for them to reach out to you, get some of your insight, maybe get some feedback and just have you as a sponsor on their transition yeah, back absolutely. to the side. Um, you can find me, as I mentioned, LinkedIn. Um, I keep that up to date. Uh, my information is on there. Aaron Sullivan, AA Ron. And that, yeah, it's just hey, reach out to me on there, uh, drop me a note, and I'll be happy to to reach back out to you and, and help you out how I can. That is great, brother. 
you know, and before we, guys, before we go, and gals and anybody that is not specifically assigned any type of gender, um, you know, like, like Aaron was talking about, you know, like I said before, you know, plan for everything. I mean, plan for failure, have a backup plan, talk, you know, communicate with your family, com- communicate with those in your environment and stuff, you know, prepare for the worst and the best, communicate, engage. Um, but one thing is never, ever stop. You know, we've, we see so many in the veteran community that are um, not making it. You know, they say 22 a day. It's a hell of a lot higher. I promise you that. But, you know, don't don't think you're a failure. You're just not in the right spot. You got to reshoot, get new grid coordinates and move your ass in that direction. And reach out to people like Aaron and myself. Um, we may not always have the best answer, but we'll give you an answer and will help you look in a new direction, you know, and for all of our listeners, you know, whether you're military, civilian, it doesn't matter. The same thing applies. You may not find an MOS or a job or a career skill that's fitting you right now, but stay at it until you find what you do. You know, yeah, don't give up hope. Aaron, go ahead. In just real quick. Yes, please. So for the veterans out there, there's a mixed group on this one, but it's a very prevalent thing. Do not wrap your entire identity up in the uniform because there comes a day Absolutely. when you take it off for the last time. And sure, you're always going to have your your military buddies and some of my army buddies are going to be undoubtedly close friends for life where I could call them up and they drive across or fly across the country in a moment's notice. I know they would. Oh, yeah. Roger but that. do not wrap your identity up in the uniform wrap your identity up in the things that are going to be there after you learn who you are invest in your family invest in you that has got to be the the, the number one piece of advice that i would give any transitioning service member Aaron, that was great you know especially a recent uh veteran and guys again you know, listen to what Aaron had to put out. This is recent. You know, this is, and, and I mean, it's not for everybody. Everybody will have different, you know, views and ideas on the best way to do it. But you got to find the right fit for you. Aaron, thank you for being here, brother. Thank you for taking, you know, Thanks your time me. out from your uh, smoking of your meat. I'm, I'm sure it's massive and it had to be handled a lot. And I appreciate your you 15 know, pounder today. Okay. Yeah. I, I know when you usually do it, you go big. But mm-hmm. thank you for the time, brother. Thank you for sharing this. For those listening, thank you for being here. And again, you know, just look for the best thing you can in life. And if you don't find it immediately, keep on looking. God bless you. Keep you. Aaron, I love you. Thank you again for being here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to work with you and for the opportunity to, you know, uh, be a friend. And I hope that continues. Thank you, buddy. Absolutely. You know, you, I got your back. All right, brother. God bless y'all. Again, this is coming on right after the podcast words. Hopefully, due to your subscribership, your listening and everything, uh, we served you well and we'll look for it again next year. Thank you. Now get the hell out of here. Enjoy the rest of your day. You've been listening to the Diary of a Bald Man. How do you feel? A little dizzy? Maybe a little nauseous? That was one hell of a ride, I know. It's our passion to make you feel as 
uncomfortable as possible. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, Google Alan the Safety Guy. You'll find all the socials there. Connect with us or else. See you next time on Diary of a Bald Man. Bald Man.